0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shakib. And this is your host, Momak Shakib. In this episode of the podcast, I interviewed Dr. Ryan Shelton. This was another interview. I have interviewed him quite a bit and I respect his view and his approach in uh, when it comes to health. And we talked about fibromyalgia. I learned from Dr. Shelton that it's something ridiculously high percentage-wise, fibromyalgia being seen in women. In my practice, I only see uh, women with fibromyalgia, but I was not aware of the statistics, alarmingly high in women. And also, I learned a lot of different approaches that he recommended dietarily speaking, and we went over some of the major lifestyle things that have to change. One of the, um, the notes that I have made in my practice when it comes to fibromyalgic patients is we are to go through the different processes a little bit slower, not because of a cognitive issue, because there is not one, but because the patient's just not able to physiologically perform because of the level of um, imbalance, health-wise speaking. So this podcast was, we explored different paradigms, the different approaches, the pros and cons, and I found it very helpful, and I hope those of you who have fibromyalgia or you know someone with fibromyalgia will get some information out of this. I'd like to invite you to send me your comments or questions to DRS podcast show at gmail.com and make sure you subscribe and rate the episode. This is the only way that I can work my way up from my episode's point of view and podcast point of view, up higher on the hierarchy and be seen by more and more people. The purpose of the show is to get you a neutral view on health and life matters by interviewing different experts and exploring things more in detail at a level that's more understandable. Once again, I thank you for listening to the podcast, and here's the interview with Dr. Ryan Shelton on fibromyalgia. Hi, Dr. Shelton.
1: Hello, Dr. Shakib. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. Thank you for accepting my invite to be interviewed once again. Uh, You are definitely a great resource to go to and I appreciate your your willingness to be available for these interviews.
1: Absolutely, my pleasure. Any way that I can help is Ah. my pleasure, yes.
0: Thank you so much. So today we're going to be talking about fibromyalgia. I know in my practice, I see many people who claim to have it and I use the word claim because I think many times it's just one of those I don't know what's going on let me give you this diagnosis and send you home with no hopes. So um, that's been my experience but I just wanted to basically pick your brain on the subject of fibromyalgia. What is fibromyalgia? Is it actually a diagnosis or a collection of systems within the body that's basically um, chaotic so to speak Mm -hmm. and so too many things are wrong so why don't we give it one name one label since we're such a label happy society and um, send you home Uh, what do you think
1: well in my experience fibromyalgia is very real and it's it's a challenging diagnosis to make and it's challenging in terms of treatments and it's challenging both for the patients and the doctors and providers that treat the patients so it's it's challenging on on both sides of the fields many patients that are suffering from the very real symptoms of fibromyalgia become frustrated because it's difficult to diagnose and the treatment protocols are still evolving. And that's both good news and bad news. It's bad news because we still haven't placed our finger on the exact underlying causes and triggers for fibromyalgia. It's good news in that our diagnostic capacities our treatment protocols have evolved over time, and we're getting better and better at treating it. Now, it's evolved diagnostically even over the past decade. A decade ago, the diagnostic criteria was one of rule-out. It was suspected to be an autoimmune condition, although laboratory testing and even imaging had to take place And everything else ruled out, all other types of autoimmune diseases ruled out prior to considering fibromyalgia, even as a diagnosis. And a decade ago, that was based entirely symptomatically uh, based on the number of trigger points that could be identified as tender. So a decade ago, uh, it was recognized that fibromyalgia patients could have as many as 18 trigger points throughout their body, upper body, lower body, back, uh, both upper limbs and lower limbs that could be tender. And these diagnostic criteria have changed in the last decade. We no longer look at potentially having 11 of those 18 trigger points to be tender. Now the diagnosis, the official diagnosis of fibromyalgia is based on pain and symptoms that the patient is experiencing acutely, so over the past week or so, based on 19 different parts of the body of differing differing uh, levels of severity. But fibromyalgia is not just pain or trigger point pain in the muscles or the the fascia that, that covers the muscles. It's become more than just a muscle syndrome. It's been recognized as more than just a muscle syndrome. It can affect the body systemically. It can result in fatigue. It can result in Awaking feeling unrefreshed, not just pain, but also stiffness of joints and muscles. It can be associated with headaches, sleep disturbance, irritable bowel, depression, anxiety, cognitive dysfunction, so difficulties with remembering things or or thinking clearly, coldness in the extremities, the hands and the feet, paresthesias, so numbness or tingling in the extremities, uh, exercise intolerance, so the inability to exercise to the level that the patient wants to, and also dysmenorrhea. And I mentioned dysmenorrhea because although fibromyalgia is now diagnosed in about 4 to 5% of Americans, it is hugely disproportionately occurs in the female population about 80 to 90% of the diagnostic criteria and those suffering from the symptoms of fibromyalgia are female and so several decades ago when when this syndrome of fibromyalgia started being reported to doctors it was it was largely dismissed as a conglomeration of symptoms that were being suffered by modern women Uh, i think it was known as wife uh, housewife syndrome so basically women staying at home taking care of kids feeling anxious depressed having muscle stiffness muscle pain and they were largely dismissed uh, again a few decades ago and the initial treatments that were initiated for fibromyalgia were antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. And they those medications worked in uh, actually a small percentage of females, uh, but it actually exacerbated or aggravated symptoms in a percentage of females, and it had no effect in the largest cohort of patients. So the evolution of treatment for fibromyalgia began with treatments for serotonin deficiencies, so antidepressant medications, anti-anxiety medications, and what we discovered through that initial series of treatments for both females and male patients was that it was not as effective as it needed to be it, it it helped a small percentage, it had no effect in the largest percentage, and it ag- actually aggravated symptoms uh, in a segment of that population as well. The evolution has taken us beyond serotonin. The evolution is now uh, in terms of underlying triggers or mechanisms is now into endocrine balance, so hormonal balance, particularly the thyroid. So uh, initially, from a provider or doctor standpoint, it was difficult sometimes initially a decade or or more ago to distinguish between those individuals suffering symptoms of fibromyalgia And those individuals suffering symptoms of hypo or low thyroid because the two can look very similar symptomatically, fatigue, stiffness, muscle soreness, headaches, difficulty sleeping, irritable bowel, depression, anxiety, cognitive dysfunctions, dysmenorrhea. And so it has become a standard now in any individual with fibromyalgia symptoms to really investigate thyroid levels, we understand fibromyalgia as hypometabolism. So, metabolism that is running too slowly or sluggishly, and certainly a hypothyroidism picture mirrors that condition very well. And so, the first Instance that I have with every fibromyalgia patient is to better understand their thyroid levels if, if they have low or underfunctioning thyroid, if they have autoantibodies against their thyroid. And we've also come to discover that it's not necessarily a, an imbalance in serotonin levels, but an increase in something called substance P and a decrease in nor, uh, norepinephrine levels so norepinephrine is a neurotransmitter and we have consistently discovered that in the cerebral spinal fluid of patients with fibromyalgia they tend to have elevated levels of substance p and low levels of norepinephrine which makes them more susceptible to muscle pain that they may be experiencing. And so most of the treatments now are targeted towards elevated substance P levels, decreased norepinephrine levels throughout the body, and we're having better effect with those types of treatments and focusing on thyroid health than we were in the beginning a a few decades ago, looking specifically at serotonin levels in the body.
0: So for those of uh, listeners who don't know, um, I think more people are familiar with norepinephrine, mm-hmm. but can you? what is substance P?
1: So substance P is actually something that is produced at the end of nerve cells uh, where they innervate or connect to muscles, and it's involved with pain. It was named substance P because we, we know that It is involved with the perception of pain in the brain. And in individuals with fibromyalgia, substance P is elevated not only in cerebral spinal fluid, but at those end receptors of the nerves to the muscles. So there's more perception from the brain that pain is is being experienced at the level of the muscle And uh, that is certainly something that needs to be corrected in fibromyalgia patients. And interestingly, just to circle back on the thyroid, the only clinical trials recently that have been conducted in which patients have been fully relieved of fibromyalgia symptoms involves the oral administration of thyroid medication along with lifestyle changes, including diets, taking dietary supplements, exercise and stretching techniques to tolerance of the patients suffering from fibromyalgia, and improved sleep. So if we incorporate some of these important lifestyle changes along with oral administration of thyroid, where it's deficient Those have been the only clinical trials in which patients have been fully relieved of the the pain and other symptoms of fibromyalgia.
0: So then the question is, what went wrong? Why did all of a sudden everything, I mean, as I'm listening to what you're saying, and as interestingly enough, as you were describing the different symptoms that are associated, with the trigger point therapy, I mean, in what I do, I do postural neurology and functional movement. I do, I come across a lot of trigger points and I'm actually going to start counting the number of people who are asymptomatic, meaning they don't think or they've, they they do not have any reason to think they have fibromyalgia just to see what an average pa- patient in my practice at least, has how many different areas, and I'm familiar with the areas of trigger point existence in fibromyalgia. So I'm just, for my own anecdotal purposes, I'm just going to start doing that. But then as you were explaining the different symptoms, if we were to categorize things, you know, our current lifestyle of having sedentary lifestyle uh, contributes to a lot of these symptoms that are there As well as, excuse me, um, the amount of stress systematically speaking on the body, like uh, lack of sleep, mental fogginess, um, uh, you know, even depression. um, A lot of these things can be contributed. So the solution seems to be obviously, it seems like to up the kind of jumpstart the person, so to speak, with a thyroid med and then hitting them with the proper lifestyle so they can get themselves out of the hole. But, uh, you know, with, with, uh, lifestyle modification, uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, a depressed person or someone who's sleep deprived and is just tired, just, you mentioned, let's go for a walk. They're like, I don't think so. Right. Um, what happened? I mean, why do we now all of a sudden have we as women speaking since the high majority are women uh, why are we having these issues what What's gone wrong? Is the lifestyle decline impacting women more than men
1: well i I as a provider, I like it when common threads are seen in lifestyle choices and decisions, diet, exercise, stress modification. I like it when common threads are seen to contribute to a multitude of health conditions because that means that if we're able to address some of the underlying issues, that we can then begin to address those multitude of conditions that arise from those lifestyle choices. And and here I'm talking not just fibromyalgia, but but we know that diet, that emotional stress, that work stress, that relational stress, that environmental toxicity, these all play a role in modern chronic disease. Autoimmune conditions of all types, including fibromyalgia, high blood pressure, diabetes, obesity. So When we are able to identify some of these common threads that are correlated with modern chronic diseases, that gives me hope. Because that that puts the onus upon us that our choices, our food, our decisions are a powerful source of medicine for us.
0: And oh my gosh, couldn't, it couldn't be any more accurate. I appreciate what you're sharing here. You're 100% right.
1: And, and some of the initial symptoms in, in my own practice and through research, some of the initial symptoms that I've seen that begin before the, the pain symptoms and the pain patterns of fibromyalgia are sleep that is strongly correlated with the development of fibromyalgia so difficulty sleeping or er, uh, difficulty falling asleep early awakening, emotional stress so that can first rear its head as depression anxiety and environmental toxicity as well has been linked to the development of fibromyalgia symptoms so Yes, addressing endocrine imbalances specifically of the thyroid is necessary, but it's not sufficient because we really do need to look at diet at I like to call it therapeutic movement because some individuals are are discouraged by the the term exercise they they imagine that they okay they have to go to the gym or train for mini marathons. That's not the case. It's it's just moving the body therapeutically to tolerance in a way that is able to work the muscles, work the joints, work the fascia surrounding the muscles to help prevent the development of fibromyalgia. And, And some of the dietary studies about Uh, correlating between diet and fibromyalgia have seen that individuals who eat more of a vegetarian diet, in fact, vegan diets tend to be best tolerated by patients experiencing fibromyalgia symptoms, but those individuals who, who eat more of a vegetarian diet eliminate exotoxins, such as refined carbohydrates, MSG, aspartame, and eat a diet that's higher in fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, healthy fats, rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Chlorella is actually one that's been studied for fibromyalgia. So that's a blue-green algae that has anti-inflammatory activities. Uh, when I spoke of a vegan diet, it tends to be the research shows that it tends to be an uncooked vegan diet high in omega three fatty acids that fibromyalgia patients tend to do best on, uh, and and this is about controlling inflammation. We we want to inform the brain that inflammation is going to be less based on our dietary choices, based on our lifestyle choices. And as we decrease inflammation throughout the body, that decreases substance P. It helps to mitigate some of those low epinephrine levels at the end of nerve cells, at at the point of the muscle. And so an anti-inflammatory diet is really what we're looking at here. High in fruits and vegetables and fiber, Nuts and seeds, essential fatty acids, trying to eliminate those source, sources, dietary sources, uh, which are high in arachidonic acid. And if we can make these dietary choices, if we can exercise and stretch to tolerance, because a lot of these patients are in quite a bit of pain. And so it has to be to tolerance, not aggravating the pain cycle that is going on. And a lot of physical techniques can be quite effective. And if that's massage therapy, muscle fascial techniques, acupuncture can be quite helpful as part of a physical therapy program. And most individuals can take somewhere on average between two to six months to see some significant resolution in their symptoms. And it's important, I, the patients I work with, it's important to chart those differences over time, to really look at the data points over time in terms of the severity and extent and duration of the pain that they're experiencing or any of these other symptoms, if it's depression, anxiety, irritable bowel, headache, stiffness, cognitive dysfunction, looking at those data points over time, this is a process of rehabilitation. I I know that my mother now has had surgeries on both of her knees. And of course, anytime we have orthopedic surgery on any, we're engaged in rehabilitation thereafter through physical therapy. And I think Patients with fibromyalgia should really look at this as rehabilitation. It takes time to correct some of the pain signals that are are being received by the brain and the spinal cord from the muscles, and it can take on average two to six months to to really start to see some resolution of these symptoms. It's not a, a quick process. It's a rehabilitation program that they they really need to invest time and energy and thought on on their diet, on specific supplementation that they should engage in, on therapeutic movement that they should engage in, physical therapies that they should engage in, because it is something that takes time.
0: So uh, when it comes to fibromyalgia... um call having a diagnosis of um, um, okay this is your fibromyalgia as if something went wrong uh, and you know it's not like hypothyroidism it's a systemic impact the body is systemat- systemically impacted by a series of decline so um, I, th- it, I think that My biggest challenge when it comes to fibromyalgia patients is for them to not look at it as an excuse, but look at it as this is my situation and I don't need to go metamorphosize overnight. Like you said, it's a process. Uh, From the postural neurology aspect, when I look at um, fibromyalgia patient with with a Hypersensitivity to pain, it's not that they're just little, um, you know, they're just the complainers uh, here, but there is an actual neurology reason behind it. We have a saying, what works together fires together. Mm-hmm. So if in a cable, uh, so to speak, we've got multiple wires and one of these wires is hyperactive and is malfunctioning, it impacts every wire within that conduit or that cable. So the hypersensitivity thing is not a figment of their imagination, it's an actual, there is a neurology behind it. And as a result of aches and pains, they're not moving properly. So the decline in joint centration, where how the joints uh, uh, come together in the skeletal system is impacted, the muscle use is imbalanced. So it's like one thing leads to another to another. So my biggest thing uh, here, and I want to mention to the listeners, is that uh, going for a walk, as an example, is probably the best thing they can do after doing what's called developmental kinesiology, basically little baby moves, movements that babies did from the time they were born until they start moving. Those progression of movement is so crucial because they're very gentle, they're very non-invasive so to speak. In other words, a malaligned joint is not going to a gym to lift weights. So you're not loading a joint that's not even where it needs to be necessarily in its ideal position. So I'm finding out that the uh, functional movement exercises, developmental kinesiology movements, Doctor Shelton are highly effective, and they kind of get the the hormones going. the The right enzymes are secreted as a result of this change in physiology, and it's kind of like a, a a biological boost, so to speak. Um, I think that when it comes to fibromyalgia, it's crucial to have the right therapeutic exercises uh, or therapeutic movements, as you call it. And I loved what you say, because that's exactly that. And uh, work on um, balancing the thyroid specifically, hopefully not so much chemical, but like we talked about the the thyroid function and treatment in one of the interviews that I had with you, I'll make sure that people have the link for it in the show notes uh, that will come together and it's not going to happen overnight. I think that the, by the time people actually seek care for, for people with fibromyalgia, there is a lot that's gone wrong, which is uh, makes it a little more challenging. And for those of us who don't have it, perhaps we need to once again, remember that, movement health is in movement and lifestyle and every decision you make in your life impacts your health one way or another would you agree with that
1: absolutely i I could not agree more and that's why i use the term therapeutic movement and i agree with with your phrase of those fibers that uh that fire together really start to change the body over time the, the neurological system and its communication to the muscles are quite plastic they're moldable and they change over time and if the communication feedback from the muscles to this the central nervous system are that we're experiencing pain we're too stiff we can't move then that begins to become solidified more and more and more with time. And the best way to reverse that, as you suggested, is through small, simple modifications of movement, where we're really trying to retrain the neurological system, the musculoskeletal system, to engage in simple movements that were initiated during... (laughs) during infancy and during childhood and those over time have become either lost or less emphasized where we're sitting at our desks working or we're doing simple activities that are not really engaging the full range of motion of our joints and our muscles. So, Starting simply, I think, is so important, just retraining that communication between the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system. And the the anatomy and the structure is so important. I I can give an analogy from just a couple of weeks ago. I, I was at home and our internet went out, speaking of those wires and cords, and it was something as simple as one of my kids dropped a big rock on the ground. Who knew how catastrophic that could be, but he dropped <laughs> he dropped a big rock on the ground, which happened to be over the line, over the cable line that was feeding my house of internet and cable TV, but just that gentle pressure from several inches above crimped the line a little bit. And so our house was no longer receiving the, the fast TV and, and internet that it was, and and it took a little bit of time and money to discover that but we removed the rock and and resurfaced the area above that rock and presto the the tv and internet came back and so there are importances to simple changes in structure and communication that can happen over time and retraining that communication is vital and it, it does start simply it does start with a rehabilitation program really trying to simplify range of motion therapeutic movements into muscles and joints and then and then increasing that over time as as range of motion increases and pain decreases and we we start to see some resolution of the symptoms of fibromyalgia So there's no doubt that that physical treatment plays a vital role in in this process.
0: You know, one thing that I want to make sure listeners understand here, um, um, and this is not to bash one paradigm over any other, it's to effectively address a problem that has a name but stands for a decline on multi-level here. So when we're talking about movement, we can move. Not every mobility is a functional movement. So when we move and due to aches and pains and injuries and everything else, it's very easy to develop what's called pathological patterns of movement. Mm -hmm. So biological pattern of movement is what a baby does all the way to the time they start walking and even past that. And even until we start playing sports and being active out there, because that takes away the balance because most sports are one-sided as an example. So in the process of movement development, which we all go through every single baby on this planet, regardless of ge- geographical location, goes through the same patterns. That's because we're designed to go through those patterns because there is an intelligence behind those patterns. So every movement comes with a development of a neural track the move, uh, the, the connection between the brain, the conductor, and all different parts of the body. So there is an intelligence behind that movement to develop the track as well as putting life into those muscles that we own, but they're not mm-hmm. active yet. So I find it highly valuable to not isolate an area or a whole bunch of areas, and put them through resistive exercises. Resistive exercises, when a joint is not centrated, simply reemphasizes the pathological patterns of movement, which is what we're trying to get rid of. Those are the negative neuroplasticity, Dr. Shelton, that you refer to, not in those terms, but. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and I couldn't agree more. When, when you look at the, the musculoskeletal development as human beings, we were designed to crawl before we walk and walk before we run and run before we engage in heavy lifting and, and other types of movements. So I, I have patience. And as silly as this sounds, although I doubt it's going to sound silly to you, it may to some of our listeners, but
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: as silly as this sounds, I have patients begin very simply through crawling exercises of of small movements of crawling then walking walking is so powerful when it comes to fibromyalgia patients and then engaging in therapeutic movements i often prescribe elements that have been used for thousands of years such as tai chi or qigong where you're going through slow meditative mindful movements of all muscles and all joints of the body, not focusing on any particular muscle set or joint set, but moving the entire musculoskeletal system in targeted, mindful, therapeutic ways where we're, we're not running, we're not training for something, we're not going to the gym, we're, we're really reestablishing healthy connections between the nervous system and the musculoskeletal system and it it does take time to to give reference. I agree with you that many patients come after they've been silently suffering from, from fibromyalgia symptoms, sometimes for years before either they have the confidence to approach the conventional medical providers or the conventional medical providers have the patients to sit down and listen to what has been happening in their lives to understand that this is a functional problem and not necessarily something that can be treated dramatically with a uh, prescription medications. And and frankly, some of the prescription medications, uh, there's one in particular that, that has been studied recently. It's sort of, had an experience of exposure on TV commercials. I'm not impressed with it. I, I'm not impressed with the the studies and the patients that I've seen on the prescription medications for fibromyalgia. They're not impressed with it either. And and they are not getting to some of the root underlying causes of fibromyalgia. Uh, that that should be one of the later stages of treatment, the pharmacological interventions, um, diet, physical therapy, physical activity, supplementation, dealing with, uh, hopefully, methodically dealing with emotional distress that can occur, uh, and that's a chicken and egg because that certainly occurs alongside with the symptoms of, of fibromyalgia. And we know that it correlates with fibromyalgia. It's not the cause, but we know that it certainly correlates as well as sleep disturbances. So making sure that people are moving therapeutically, making sure that they're getting restful sleep, understanding their diet and making changes where we can, can, can make a huge impact on so many patients that are suffering with fibromyalgia.
0: Absolutely. Um, you mentioned something, and I know you're, um, you're, uh, neither one of us wants to uh, step on anyone else's uh, boundaries, so to speak. But I, I will take that responsibility, Dr. Shelton, to point out the fact that in a, in a business, in a profession, when prescription is the route you can't expect anything but prescription mm-hmm. and in order and that is not what conventional medicine does conventional medicine uh, what i'm saying is what it doesn't do is listening to the patient implementing lifestyle and really encouraging that route I mean I always say don't go to a dentist and ask for your heart health or go to an optometrist and wonder how your why your foot is hurting there is a specialty for everything yeah. and we need to respect that and there is a place for every one of those specialties I just don't I think by the time people go outside the so called conventional medicine which is a prescription I mean conventional medicine which is prescription medication, basically, uh, by that time, uh, more time has passed by, more wrong patterns have been ingrained in an individual, and it becomes more challenging, not impossible, but more challenging to address this issue. Um, and, um, you know, it's not like, oh, well, I, my mom was uh, had my fibromyalgia, now I, I do. Um, I think that what we should look into is uh, you have been exposed to a certain lifestyle that perhaps has been carried over to your generation. Unfortunately, I think fibromyalgia has been around long enough that we can start seeing it in um, the newer generation where the mom perhaps had it as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to also point out the crawling thing that you mentioned When a baby starts crawling, not only the the two sides of the body are communicating together, but that's a cross-crawl pattern is a movement required for the right side of the brain and left side of the brain through through corpus callosum to connect to each other, to communicate with each other because the moment we are on our feet... Now everything has to come together. So once again, there was an intelligence behind that coming before standing up. And we need to absolutely treasure the blueprint that we are given, so to speak, by nature throughout the world and follow those patterns of movements as an initiation of a process that needs us to be on the right track when it comes to movement and lifestyle, so to speak.
1: I, I can't agree <sighs> with you more. And and it, it really does take us back to simple measures that need to be started first. And, and this is a functional problem because it yes. ultimately it, it still remains to this day a diagnosis of rule out, meaning that you have to rule out that there are no organic and by that's not a good term necessarily organic, <laughs> like organic so like,
0: uh, organ-related. <laughs> uh, organ, yeah,
1: organ-related. There, there's no organ-related or immune-related cellular-related problem. It's a functional problem, which is where doctors like yourself and me really excel. And and this goes back, I think, in my belief, to the power of the therapeutic relationship And, and 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 this has been known for thousands of years Hippocrates talked about it in ancient Greece and ancient Chinese doctors talked about it the power of a therapeutic relationship if you can find a provider that will listen to you and and really want to help through the dysfunction that you're currently experiencing that takes some time Yes. It it and, it and it takes some investment both on on the part of the provider because I have to make myself available for more than six or seven minutes, and on on the part of the patient too they they have to really look at their lifestyle, look at their dietary choices, look at their endocrine system, look at their sleep patterns, and accept the fact that it is a problem that can be changed not be defined by fibromyalgia
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it, but accept that it exists and that it can be improved through diet and lifestyle modification
0: and as such when you address the cause there will be ups and downs, so mm-hmm. when there is a down encounter, not to think, "Oh my gosh," and that I guess that's where you mentioned the power of uh, emotional therapy. Mm-hmm. We're not talking i I hope we're not necessarily. Only talking about talk therapy because um, practices such as meditation or relaxation or perhaps guided visualization. These are all the things that we can do on our own at the privacy of our own homes. And that inner conversation we have. With ourselves, oh my gosh, that's a deal maker or a deal breaker, isn't it?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and and just just to get super nerdy for you,
0: <laughs> I love it. Go for uh,
1: it. <laughs> uh, I, one of my degrees is in philosophy, so you I know, <laughs> philosophy. Philosophy, I, I put it as basically just thinking in slow motion, and there there's a difference in knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is just having the information, understanding the information. Wisdom, if, if you look at the roots of that word, is standing under knowledge, understanding the knowledge that you have. So you can kind of think of it as standing under a tree. Not only do you know something and you're aware of something, but you're, you're able to act upon it be, because that knowledge gives you the information to make changes in your life. That's, that's the difference between having knowledge, which requires no action other than learning, and wisdom, which actually requires some action based on the information that you have.
0: I love that. You should make a meme out of that one short sure. paragraph. I'm not kidding you. Is that your your thing or is that uh, something?
1: I, I think it's Aristotle. I can't, I, I, I can't take credit so, for that.
0: So, so it was just paraphrased.
1: Yeah. I, I can't that take was, credit for that.
0: Darn it. I could, yeah. I could have said I knew the guy who came up with that. Uh, right. That was, uh, that's so true. And I, I, I think we're both passionate about that. Uh, uh, we're all, we're both speaking the same thing. And I, I think you're 100% accurate. I,
1: I would like to to make a couple of points. I know, I know sure. we're probably ending up here on our time together, uh, unfor- unfortunately, because I definitely uh, look forward to every time you and I can speak. There, there have been a couple of prescription medications Mm -hmm. that have uh, either been prescribed for fibromyalgia or parenthetically, they just happen to be on these medications. And the research has shown that not only do they not make much of a difference in fibromyalgia symptoms, they may over time lead to worsening in the severity of fibromyalgia symptoms. One group would be beta blockers.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank so you be- for talking about this. I didn't want to pull you into yeah. it. But, okay.
1: If Big Farm is listening to me right now, they're, that's I'll okay. Get, they should I'll own f- their
0: crap. Their-
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll get a few emails. I'm sure. Uh, that's okay. So so beta blockers and beta blockers are common for high blood pressure, which is extraordinarily common, and that's a common prescription. But beta blockers are also given sometimes for anxiety. Uh, A a really cool research study was done several years back where they prescribed beta blockers for uh, a group of musicians, uh, the Philharmonic, uh, Mm -hmm. I I believe, of New York. And they found that prescribing beta blockers – and it wasn't for high blood pressure. they, They looked at performance. Of the musicians. Not only did they perform better, but they were less anxious. They had less stage fright. They were calmer and more confident in their performance. And that study is amazing because it, it showed that, yeah, beta blockers are helpful for high blood pressure, but it, it can help with anxiety. And it's not, a, it's not a narcotic. It doesn't turn the brain off, it, it just calms you down a little bit, and you're still able to perform quite well. However, all of that said, beta blockers are associated with some aggravation over time of fibromyalgia, as well as narcotics, muscle relaxants, which are commonly prescribed for fibromyalgia, and antidepressants, uh, specifically SSRIs or, say, Prozac or Lexapro, because again, once upon a time, and, and I think the doctors that are pers- still prescribing antidepressants are pretty antiquated in their therapeutic approach, but beta blockers, narcotics, muscle relaxants, antidepressants may, n- may not only be not helpful, but sorry for the double negative, but uh, also may lead to an aggravation of symptoms over time. So as providers we need to be mindful of the medications that our patients are on and have discussions about why they're taking the medications if they're helpful if they're not helpful potential side effects to those medications because that those necessarily are not always a great thing for fibromyalgia and there have been a number of supplements that have decent studies on them including alpha hydroxy acids vitamin CoQ10, uh, GHB, magnesium, calcium, potassium, SAME, S-A-M-E uh, vitamin B12, vitamin C and E, uh, fish oils, obviously, and omega-3 fatty acids, typically at high doses in the range of three to 5,000 milligrams a day, and carotenoids, Uh, carotenoids being a good example of that would be beta carotene. Uh, But there are other carotenoids. And these also used at a high dose in the research, 15 um, to uh, 30 uh, units, international units, uh, I'm sorry, 15 to to 30,000 international units of beta carotene every day. So there are some supplements that have shown to be helpful for relief Certainly anything to help with sleep as well. Uh, And uh, looking at at any thyroid dysfunction obviously is important. Uh, Looking at the uh, elevated substance P and low norepinephrine levels obviously important. And uh, physical therapy. And, And if that involves simple exercises that you engage in at home or hopefully, and uh, physical exercises and physical therapy through a practitioner, uh, chiropractor, acupuncture, uh, myofascial release techniques, trigger point therapy, all of those are, are quite helpful. And, and I think that if, if we approach fibromyalgia as real and as complex as it is, we can make some real therapeutic advancements on this condition.
0: So I've got one question and one comment, and I know you have a patient coming up, so yeah. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Number one is where it, to find out the, the level of substance P and norepinephrine, What kind of study needs to be done to determine those levels?
1: Those those unfortunately are not straightforward lab tests. Uh, Mm -hmm. Those typically involve, uh, frankly, some some more invasive testing. However, there are- Is that
0: a spinal tap uh, for uh, spinal substance?
1: Yes, or they can go in and do a a microbiopsy at the nerve uh, musculal junction. And find out the level of norepinephrine and substance P there. That that's not a standard test. It's it's very expensive. It's certainly not going to be covered by insurance companies. Uh, there are some decent uh, tests that can be run for norepinephrine levels, and um, my favorite for those would be urine tests. Uh, that, that look at the total norepinephrine production in the body. Now it's not specific necessarily to the neuromuscular junction, but it it can look at the metabolites of norepinephrine, see how much is being produced. And, you know, those particular tests are, are usually included with neurological testing for serotonin levels, dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine levels, uh, uh, PE, PEA level so th- that's usually a, uh, a a test that's incorporated looking at the the entire neurologic the neurotransmitter uh, landscape um, mm-hmm. but but you can detect neuro or uh, norepinephrine levels through those tests. but uh, again they're they're not standard tests, a lot of conventional doctors aren't even aware of them, let alone how to order them. And uh, they're almost never covered by insurance companies. Uh,
0: so uh, what is the functional level? Um, should we look at the the level of uh, norepinephrine, the urine, based on what the lapse is, or there's an actual true healthy level. I'm sure by the time you see a fibromyalgia patient, it's at a disease level, so we don't even need to worry about the functional level because it's much higher, much more different than uh, it would have been otherwise.
1: Yeah, the, the levels vary. And basically, when I look at the suggested or reference range of norepinephrine levels by the lab, I I look at the levels that are recommended, and then if if there's anything less than fifty percent of the reference range, if the patient is also experiencing symptoms of fibromyalgia, I look at that mm-hmm. as as suspect. I see and uh, go from there. Um, you know, if if the levels are are around average or or higher than average, then um, that that doesn't go as much into my treatment protocol.
0: I see. Another thing that I wanted to say, I said question and a comment, Uh the comment portion had to do with, uh, and this is for the listeners, um, I certainly, and I know I can comfortably say that Dr. Shelton is not uh, um, trying to say that, um, we're not trying to imply anything about our, uh, medical uh, doctors that, uh, you know, we all respect. But you have to understand your medical practitioner, your medical doctor is not aware of the side effects of medications uh, as much as you think they do, the, the pharmaceutical rep does. And, you know, um, we're, we're very much trained to trust Um, our our associations and, uh, you know, our our, uh, professional parents, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And so a medical doctor obviously trusts the pharmaceutical company's Mm -hmm. representative that comes in trying to sell or encourage that medical doctor to to, uh, prescribe a medication. And obviously, they come up with the supportive documents and research to support their meds. And these are the things. That's why uh, you know there is a black box um, uh, for every pretty much every med because in I think the statistics was in twenty percent of medications taken today in twenty five years will be bad. So th- that should just tell us something.
1: Yeah, and I-, I couldn't agree more. We're we're all part of the same team. Uh, yeah, we're we're just working d- uh, through different paradigms and if if my if if the shade of spectacles that i have have a red tint to them and the shade of spectacles that a conventional provider has a blue tint to them that that's not that's not saying that blue is bad or red is better that's just saying that we're working through different paradigms and and i think it takes an entire team and in my best scenario it does take the entire team because it it takes the the conventional doctor to to really understand and, and give their best effort. And it takes functional doctors like us to understand and give our best effort. And uh, ultimately what we're trying to do at the end of the day is, is help the patient suffering that's in front of us.
0: Absolutely. We're not, we're, uh, my issue is not uh, having an issue with uh, uh, pharmaceutical uh, products or medical doctors for that matter. My issue is the frequency of um, accessing their side when their side should not, in my opinion, be the first side you go to. That should be available at the right time. So when we go and we, we don't address the problem, we simply overemphasize the wrong so to speak for much longer which by the time that has declined has failed and people show up to the alternative to the conventional uh, approach it's a lot more work so why don't we reverse that uh, and then we also need to educate the alternative to medicine to be better diagnostician and be more true to the patient's well-being instead of standing up for their profession. I'm talking about myself. So going to see a chiropractor, you don't know what you're walking into because there's so, uh, so many different types, as an example. I don't think a fibromyalgia patient, for example, should be adjusted not at the beginning, Mm -hmm. because I think that they're not ready for it yet. Mm -hmm. It's too much overstimulation, Mm -hmm. as an example. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I don't want to take up your time. I promised you no more than an hour. (laughs) I've got two minutes. So I'd like to take the two minutes to thank you so much, Dr. Shelton. I'm so grateful. I came across some of the Uh, literature you had written and I thought I want to talk to this guy (laughs) and you you responded to my email so well and I'm grateful for the multiple opportunities I've had and I look forward to opportunities to come to pick your brain and basically provide a neutral honest um, view of things that are, um, you know, people perhaps are struggling health wise.
1: Sure, it's a, it's always a pleasure. I'm passionate about.
0: I like, can tell <laughs> about
1: education and educating patients and and providing them with with accurate information so that they have the knowledge to stand under that tree of of knowledge and and hopefully have the wisdom to act upon it.
0: Well, thank you so much. Uh, You have a wonderful day, Dr. Shelton. And for the listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Life and Health Matters with Dr. Shaki. Make it a great week. Thank you.